TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I remember last year. Everybody was coming out with their All-NBA ballots and who they were voting for. I specifically remember one person saying, I'm not a fan of his shot selection, so I just couldn't put him on my All-NBA ballot. I was baffled. You know, a lot of guys have incentives for making All-NBA. Everyone knows I didn't make it last year. I lost $30 million or whatever. The fact that somebody could have that thought and basically cost someone $30 million, I think that has to change. It's like all opinion based. You know, I, I like this guy a little bit more or certain things like that. And I think there's just a little too much on the line. All right. That was Jason Tatum on the JJ Reddick podcast. And it makes a lot of sense that the media shouldn't be voting on or shouldn't be determining if a player is going to make an extra $30 million in his contract. So that's on the table also. Do you think Tom Brady's coming back next year based on this recent reporting? And how many players under the age of 25 would you take over Tatum? The only guy I would take over Tatum that's under the age of 25 is Luka Doncic. But I did want to react to this for a second here. So Tatum does make a lot of sense as it pertains to the all-NBA voting, right? Because it dictates what a player can make. Now, I don't have an issue with the media voting on the all-NBA team. It makes sense to me that the media would be voting on that. Who else is going to be determining... The all-NBA team. Is it going to be former players? Is it going to be current players in the league? It's going to be current coaches. Like, it makes sense to me that the media would determine this and vote on this. But what doesn't make sense to me is sort of what Tatum was pointing out there. Is why is the media dictating if Jason Tatum can earn an extra $30 million or not? See, I believe that this should be on the team, not on the media to vote him in as an all-NBA performer, right? So the team should be able to decide whether or not their own player is worth the, in some cases, the Supermax, and in this case, the rookie extension, right? So if you look at it going into this season, here are the numbers. For a designated player, like Luka this year signed a five-year, $201 million contract. But if he doesn't get that All-NBA, he's going to look at a five-year, $144 million contract. So here's the thing that I would say is, This whole idea that, hey, if we don't put this incentive in where you got to get two all NBA teams or you got to start in two all star games or you got to win an MVP to be able to earn that additional money that you sign the contract for, you got to reach one of those thresholds. And that's determined on an opinion from the media. That, to me, quite frankly, just doesn't make sense. That's not how it should work. 
the team should have to decide whether or not this player, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell, all these guys that have signed these contracts recently, Ben Simmons, if these guys are worth the designated player, which is going to get them significantly more money than just the regular rookie extension max contract. That should be on the team to decide that. And if some guy said, oh, I'm only going to sign the designated player. I won't sign the just regular rookie extension, the max rookie extension, not the designated player. Well, then that's on the team. If you want that player to not agree to the contract or you want them to go to restricted free agency, that's the risk they take. Because the reality is the organization still has all the power. So let's just go with the hypothetical that one of these players this offseason said, hey, I want the designated extension. I don't want just the regular max, which is five years, 144. And the team saying, we don't think you're worth the designated player. Well, what's going to happen? That player is going to go to free agency and sign a restricted offer sheet if another team views it he's a max player for four years and 124 the next year rather than just sign on the dotted line for $144 million. So he's sacrificing $20 million. And remember, it would still be on that same timeline because you would be a free agent, like you'd sign your extension. Then if you didn't, then you're waiting four years to become a free agent or you're waiting a year to sign that restricted free agent offer sheet. So, yeah, a guy could bet on himself and say, yeah, I'll just sign the four-year $124 million deal. But then the team that he is essentially trying to leave could just say, okay, we're going to match that and bring you back. So I just feel like the players don't have a lot of leverage as it pertains to this situation anyway. So I don't know why the owners around the league would be concerned about this. I don't think a lot of guys are going to say, no, I'm not going to take that deal. So I believe it's on the ownership group and the organization, the GM, et cetera, to make that decision, not on the media. And I know a lot of members of the media feel uncomfortable doing that, right? You're determining if a guy's going to make an extra additional $30 million. They don't want that type of pressure on them. And we know the reality of this. I'm not saying it's the same. Like, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. But if you look at the Hall of Fame voters in Major League Baseball, there's people that don't even watch the damn sport. It's not to that extent, but... Let's just say the hypothetical is one of the voters covers the Oklahoma City Thunder. How many times did see Jason Tatum play this year? Now, maybe they watched a couple of national games, but it's very difficult for them to watch 70 or so Jason Tatum games and watch 70 or so games from LeBron James, right? It's difficult to do all that. If you're a national reporter, you're going to see a lot more games, but if you're a local reporter, you're not. And even if you're a national reporter, you're not going to see all those games. And you may have a preconceived bias against Jason Tatum or whoever it is, Luka Doncic, whoever. You may have a Joel Embiid. You may have a preconceived notion like, hey, I just don't like the style that that guy plays with, like Tatum was alluding to. All right, that's fine if you don't want to vote him for All-NBA, but it shouldn't be determining what type of money Jason Tatum makes. And just going back to one of the points that Jason Tatum made is he talked about how the voting process is flawed, and he's spot on on this. So if you look at last year's voting for All-NBA, Kyrie Irving made the All-NBA team. He finished with 61 total points. Jason Tatum didn't make the All-NBA team. He finished with 69 total points. So Tatum actually had more points than Kyrie Irving did. Here's the issue. The way that the NBA sort of makes restrictions on this. So now when we watch the league, we hear this whole thing, and the Warriors have been one of the teams that really embraced it, the positionless basketball, right? So my idea with this is, why do we have positions on the All-NBA team? Why do we need to have two guards, two forwards, and a center? 
that to me, quite frankly, doesn't make sense because a lot of teams will play with a small ball center, not even a traditional center. So when I look at it, what we should be doing, and Jason Tatum had 69 points, eight more points than Kyrie Irving, but Jason Tatum can knock it on, onto the All-NBA team because he's a forward by designation. But what the voters are saying is Tatum was the better player than Kyrie Irving, but Tatum doesn't make it because Kyrie Irving's a guard and Tatum's a forward. How does that make sense whatsoever? You should just be putting the 15 best players on the All-NBA team. And one of the things that I'll say to this is if you look at this year, the top two guys right now in the MVP race. Now, you could argue that Giannis is right there, and you could make an argument that DeMar DeRozan's making a run here. You could make an argument for even though he doesn't have the stats, he's got the impact. Chris Paul, you can make an argument for Steph Curry. But right now, the two leaders would be the reigning defending MVP in Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Those two guys are both centers. Unequivocally, unless one of them goes down with a catastrophic injury, Unequivocally, those two guys are going to be two of the best five players in the NBA this season. So why is one of those guys going to be on the second team All-NBA? Shouldn't it just be the five best players make the All-NBA team? That's what makes no sense to me whatsoever. It should just be the five best guys on the first team, the next five guys in the second team, and the next five guys on the third team. And the other thing that I agree with Tatum with, he mentions how often he played last year. So he missed seven total games, five of them due to covid and actually, one was at the end of the season because they had already wrapped up the number seven seed in the East. So there's no point in him playing. So if you look at it in terms of just the value that Jason Tatum provided to the Celtics and you juxtapose that to some of the other guys that he was competing with. So let's take, for example, Paul George. Paul George did make the All-NBA team last year. He had a very good season, very efficient. And he shot 41% from three compared to Tatum, who was at 38%. He, Tatum averaged 7.4 rebounds, George 6.6, George got him with 5.2 assists, Jason Tatum at 4.3. Okay, Jason Tatum, though, averaged three more points per game at 26.4 compared to Paul George at 23.3. Now, here's the other big thing. Jason Tatum, and Kyrie Irving, by the way, is in this conversation with George as well. Jason Tatum played 64 games. Paul George played 54 Kyrie Irving played 54 games. And remember what Kyrie Irving did last year? He left his team because he said he needed to handle what was going on mentally with what was happening in the country at that particular point in time. But then he was caught partying with like his family at a club. But anyway, getting back to my original point, if you just compare Tatum and Paul George, George who made the third team. So even if you want to argue that on a game-to-game basis, Paul George was the better player, you can make that argument. But he played in 10 less games, right? So if you think about where the Celtics were at last year, they finished the season at 36 and 36. So they were the seventh seed in the East. That's partially why Paul George gets the nod over Jason Tatum because the Clippers were 47 and 25. But if you look at Jason Tatum and the importance he had on that Celtics team, you have to weigh that in because if Tatum, who was third in – He's third in minutes right now. But last year, he was 11th in minutes. 2,290 minutes. That was 11th in the league. Paul George was 81st. 1,821 minutes. So you're talking about 469 minutes less than Tatum. Kyrie was 71st. 1,886. So 404 minutes less than Tatum. So if Tatum misses 10 more games last season, the Celtics last season had an offensive rating of 108.5 with him on the floor. They had 
or excuse me, with Tatum on the floor, they had a 116 offensive rating, and they had a plus 2.8 net rating. With Tatum off the floor, they had a 108 offensive rating and a 111 defensive rating. So their defense was not good with Tatum off the floor. So just play the hypothetical game out, right? Because Tatum played 10 more games than both Kyrie and Paul George. If Tatum misses 10 games, well, then what happens to the Celtics team, right? People are not weighing in the games played thing, right? That has to value into the equation at some point because without Tatum, the Celtics are in real jeopardy of missing the postseason, or at least their seed goes way down, right? So the Celtics were the seventh seed. So Charlotte was the 10 seed, and they were three games behind them. Chicago, by the way, the five seed, or excuse me, the 11th seed, who didn't make the playoffs, they were the last team out of the playoff mix there, they were five games behind them. So what happens if Jason Tatum doesn't play those 64 games and only plays the 54 games that Paul George and Kyrie Irving play? Well, the reality is that Jason Tatum's team wouldn't have made it into the postseason, or at best they'd be the 10 seed in the Eastern Conference and have to play a road game in terms of the play-in game and have to play two play-in games in, to get into the regular playoffs if they get into the regular playoffs at all. Right, so I do feel like Tatum makes a point there in terms of how available are you for your team, and that's something that really hasn't been valued in the all-NBA voting. And if we're doing and we're weighing all this stuff in as it pertains to contracts, well, then it's something that you need to consider as a voter. And I do feel like this has sort of become now an underrated part of Jason Tatum. He is legitimately an Iron Man for the modern-day NBA. So right now, Tatum is third in minutes played this season, 2020. 2021, I alluded to that. He was 11th. 2,290 minutes he played that particular season. So Tatum really is out there every damn night. That's something I really do appreciate about Tatum is, and I believe the NBA should switch up the scoring champ to the guy that scores the most points, right? Because it shouldn't be a guy plays 54 games or 60 games and another guy plays 75 games and the guy that played 60 games averages like 29.5 points per game and the guy that played 75 games averages 29 points the guy that averaged 29.5 games wins or 29.5 points per game wins the scoring title over the guy that averaged 29 but the guy that played 29 games played in 15 more games the guy that played in more games should win the scoring title and I feel like this is sort of an underrated part of the NBA today in terms of Tatum being out on the floor every night he should be appreciated for that and he should have been appreciated for that in the All-NBA voting a season ago. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So if you want to wait in the Brady situation, do you believe he's returning next season based on all this recent reporting? How many players under the age of 25 would you take over Jason Tatum? Plus, I have one thought on the Celtics team as they get ready to come out of the All-Star break in like a week now. I mean, I wish it was quicker than that. Brian Barrett with you here right on EI. The home for Patriots fans. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. All right, trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Well, Brad Marchand's six-game suspension was upheld after an appeal for roughing and high-sticking Penguins goalie Tristan Jari last week. Marchand is eligible to return Thursday the 24th against the Kraken. The Beezer losers are four of their last five. They'll hit the road to take on the Senators on Saturday night. Well, they're already on the road, so they're in Ottawa now. Major League Baseball announced spring training games will not begin until at least March 5th. Spring camps were set to open this week. The owners and the players' union scheduled to meet on Monday. The Cardinals released Malcolm Butler from the reserved retired list on Thursday. 
Ben Voling reporting a source close to Butler said the cornerback is definitely attempting a comeback and plans to play in 2022. The Seas are on the All-Star break. The Green will visit the Nets on Thursday the 24th. Jason Tatum will be playing for Team Durant Sunday night in the All-Star game. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, I didn't want I did want to get into the Patriots here for a second, but if you want to weigh in on the Brady situation or the Tatum situation, how many players would you take under 25 other than Jason Tatum? Or I should say, that was a poor way to phrase it. How many players would you take under 25 over Jason Tatum? And do you believe that Tom Brady's coming back? That's on the table at 617-779-7937. All right, but I want to get to this real quickly. So I ran through that pro football focus list last night, the top 101 guys according to pro football focus this past season. And I looked at the receivers, but if you look at the running backs on this list, you have Jonathan Taylor, you have Nick Chubb, A.J. Dillon, you have Cordero Patterson, you have Joe Mixon, you have Aaron Jones. Okay, Damian Harris didn't make the list. And the reason I bring this up is if you look at how impactful those receivers on the list were, right? I mean, you look at the the names of the receivers that were in the top 100 and the impact that those guys had. Cooper Cup won the Super Bowl MVP. I would argue it should have been Aaron Donald, but you get the point. One of the best teams in the NFL, they won the Super Bowl. Adams was fifth on this list. The Packers, one of the best offenses in the league. Debo Samuel was number eight, was number eight rather on this list. They make it to the conference championship game. Chase was number 26. He makes it to the Super Bowl, right? Lamb makes the playoffs. He's at 57. Hill, 33rd. They make it to the AFC title game. Higgins, 64th, of course. He was on the Bengals. They make it to the Super Bowl. Stephon Diggs, they make it into that game against Kansas City. You look at A.J. Brown. His team was the number one seed. They made it into the playoffs, of course, before choking. So the And Gabriel Davis of the Bills, 93rd. They make it into the playoffs, right? So all these receivers that were ranked in the top 10 were on playoff teams. Well, look at the running backs. Jonathan Taylor missed the playoffs. Nick Chubb missed the playoffs. Patterson missed the playoffs. And then you have the Packers guys, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, but it wasn't exactly as if they were throwing the ball or running the ball a ton. Those guys were effective, but they had smaller roles. That was a passing team, right? Joe Mixon, by the way, he was 76 on this list. 
He averages 4.1 yards per carry. Not to mention, they should have thrown the ball more, the Bengals. Actually, when they let Joe Burrow loose at the end of the season, when they upped his passing attempts, they became better. On the year, if you look at the Bengals' offense, they were 22nd in EPA in terms of rush EPA. That's not productive whatsoever. They were ninth in dropback EPA. So if you look at the numbers, the Bengals, for the majority of the season, they weren't throwing the ball enough, and they let Joe Burrow loose down the stretch of the season, and they became a more efficient offense, right? So if you look at it in terms of dropback EPA, so how effective are you in the passing game compared to the running game? Every team in the top 10 in dropback EPA. So it's basically, just to put it into layman's terms, it's a way to basically calculate how efficient you are passing the football. So every team in that metric that made that was in the top 10 this season made the postseason. The number four team in dropback EPA was the Rams. The number nine team in dropback EPA was the Bengals. They played for the Super Bowl. The number two team in dropback EPA was the Chiefs. The number five team in dropback EPA were the Niners, who we think of a rushing football team, but they were actually a very, very effective passing team as well. The top two teams in rush EPA missed the playoffs. So it's not important to have this great rushing attack, right? The Bengals, by the way, they got hot the final four weeks. They were second in dropback EPA during that stretch. The Chiefs were third. The Pats' final four games, of course, they lost three of four. They were third in rush EPA. Great. It got you nothing. You lost three of four. They were just 12th in dropback EPA. And, in fact, if you look at the first three quarters of games, remember the Patriots were falling behind in those games. In the first three quarters, they were 18th in dropback EPA. So they were the 18th most efficient, pass, most efficient passing offense in the first three quarters of games in the final month of the season. So, yeah, they're running the ball well, but they weren't effective. They were not efficient passing the ball. So that's when I look at some of the priorities for this Patriots team entering the 2022 season. They have to become a much more efficient, efficient passing team because what we've seen in recent history, meaning this past season, all the teams that were very efficient passing the football, the top 10 teams, they made a run at the Super Bowl. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Let's get to Mike. He is in Brockton. What's up, Mike? Hey, Mike. Yeah, I'd like to just for you to break down the numbers that you're using. I'm a, I'm a good stats guy. Uh, more traditional stats, you're throwing a lot out there, uh, and I'm trying to keep up. And Which ones, so Mike? Uh, so it, it, it it's all of them, actually. The defensive stats, the offensive stats. Uh, like, I, I don't know where uh, – like, I know, like, whip in baseball. And yep. I know I know what it means. Uh, I know a good whip is under one. A bad whip is 130. Uh, so I'm trying to get a sense when you say their defensive rating is 108 uh, – um, oh, you're talking which, about the NBA stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. All, all I didn't know if you're talking about the NFL. That I, okay, so basic, no, basically. No, no, I'm talking about the NBA stats. Yeah. And when you say, and I'm hearing you say, okay, Jason Tatum is a 11.3 or oh, something yeah, okay. like that. So essentially, uh-huh. Mike, Mike, what um, defensive rating is in the NBA is, so it factors in pace. So basically it's taking 100 possessions. So out of 100 possessions, how many points are you scoring? And defensively, the same thing, right? It's just, it's a fairer metric than points per game because, like, say a team could play slow, but they could be very efficient offensively, right? So if you just look at points per game, they may be 17th or 18th in the NBA, but they may be the top 
in the top five in terms of their efficiency, right? They may be scoring at a high clip, but they play slower than other teams. You know what I'm saying? So if you take it by 100 yeah. possessions, it measures it for efficiency. Okay. All right. I understand that. Now, when, you, when you're talking about uh, individual and how, you, how do you get to that metric where someone is, uh, you know, you have Tatum in the top three and then there's Curry and then there's someone else. Uh, uh, how do you, how, how how does that work? Okay, so basically the thing with that is, so you take the offensive rating that the Celtics have when Tatum is on the floor, right? So when Tatum's on the floor, they have a 114.7 offensive rating, which is elite. So when Tatum is on the floor, that's their offensive rating. No matter who's around him, whether it's Smart, whether it's Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, whoever, that's their rating. When he's off the yep. floor, when Jason Tatum's on the bench, the Celtics have just a 105.7 offensive rating. So it's a big dip-off, right? And then if you look at defense, yeah. they have a 105.2 defensive rating with him on the floor, which is good. When he's off the floor, it's still good, but it's not great. It's 108.5. So there's a significant drop-off on both. So basically what you do is you take Tatum's on the court compared to Tatum's off the court, and you take the number that it would equate to in between, and that would be plus 12.3. So they're 12.3 points better per 100 possessions when Tatum's on the floor. Okay. Uh you uh, there's uh i know you know about all the stats but an old stat is what their plus minus is uh, yeah box it, score plus minus yep yeah you know so there are some some I, i'm just trying to like i said keep up with uh with all your stats that you're throwing out there you know uh yeah and box score, yeah and box score mike plus minus i mean i can look it up for you but i believe he's about seven in that okay you know, like I said, you know, I grew up with different stats, and you're throwing. I've been listening to you for weeks, and you're throwing out all this numbers and stuff, and I'm going, okay, I don't, I don't know what that means in basketball. Uh, so that's why. Fair I enough, to call Mike. I hope I, I hope I helped. No, you 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 did help. Uh, uh, thank you very much. No problem. Appreciate the call, Mike. His line's open at six one seven 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 nine. 793.7. Okay, and just getting back to that Patriots point real quickly here is one of the big issues with this team down the stretch is they completely broke down offensively from a passing perspective. And I know that Mac and company, they made like they had a chance to win that Colts game. And I give Mac credit for coming back in the fourth quarter. But the problem for the Patriots was in the first half of those games down the stretch, they were just absolutely atrocious. And I don't know what it was that happened. Remember this whole situation? with the bye week where Mac Jones came out and he said, I don't know if we're feeling sorry for ourselves about the bye week. I mean, this is going to become one of the great Patriots mysteries of all time, where if you look at the, the Malcolm Butler situation, we're never going to find out what happened to Malcolm Butler in that Super Bowl. And it also feels like we're never going to find out what the hell happened with the bye week. If they were just feeling like they caught a bad break, because unlike some of these other teams, they didn't get the full two weeks. They had to play on a Saturday against the Indianapolis Colts. So we don't know exactly what happened there. And it did feel like maybe Mac Jones hit somewhat of a rookie wall because he did feel like he was exhausted after the game. But obviously, Mac individually is going to have to improve. And that's where I sort of disagree with the whole point that Fourier was making this week about Mac Jones is going to regress. And Fourier said this, quote, he's going to regress, and I think you should expect it. The most important thing, leave out the injuries. Maybe they don't bring anybody in. The coaching is going to take a significant drop. We're crazy if we think anybody they bring in is going to be better than Josh. It's not going to happen. None of these guys are better than Josh. He has too much experience. He's too advanced. So anything you get other than like a Bill O'Brien type, which looks like it's not happening, you're going to regress. So I understand the coaching aspect of that. 
and I'm frustrated by the coaching aspect because it wasn't as if I was super enamored with Josh. I've never, and I've not hidden this, I've never been a big Josh McDaniels fan in terms of calling plays and game playing. Never been a big fan of Josh McDaniels. But I did feel like it was a slightly arrogant approach by the Patriots. If this is it, right? And now maybe if something happens, then we're having a totally different conversation. But I did feel like it was sort of an organizational arrogance that they just said, all right, Josh McDaniels is leaving. He's leaving to be a head coach of a different team. And our answer is to bring back Joe Judge, who's never called offensive plays, right? So I felt like that to me is sort of like underestimating what Josh McDaniels meant to this team. But when I look at it, I thought that Josh at times sort of held Mac back and they didn't involve Kendrick Bourne enough in the offense, right? I mean, I've given you the numbers in terms of Kendrick Bourne was targeted 56 times less than Jacoby Myers, and he only had 66 less yards. So there should have been more targets Kendrick Bourne's way than Jacoby Myers. Kendrick Bourne was the more effective player when he had the ball in his hand. So that's just an example of things that I didn't like in terms of what Josh McDaniels was actually doing. And I've given you the RPOs and the play action numbers where Mac only, in terms of his passing attempts, only 26% of them were out of play action or RPOs. And if you look at the collegiate level, he was over 52%. So that didn't make sense to me. But I also don't feel good about just bringing Joe Judge back and just saying, hey, see if you can run Josh's system, right? So... I don't believe it hurts the progression of Mac. Like, Mac's progression is going to happen individually in the offseason. When he's working with his private quarterbacks coach, he's working on his body, he's working on his mechanics, that's when the maturation process and that's when the growth is going to come with Mac. But if you look at recent history in terms of quarterbacks, how many of them have regressed in year two? Ordinarily, it's the other way around, right? So Fourier's whole point is, okay, Josh is out. I get it. Josh is a loss for the Patriots, especially considering what the coaching staff is right now. But even if let's go with the hypothetical that they don't get, and I believe they're going to get another playmaker. I believe that. But let's go with the hypothetical they don't get another playmaker. Well, Kendrick Bourne is going to be better than he was last year. Jonu Smith can't be worse. Hunter Henry is at least going to be the same, if not more productive, now that he has a year in the system with Mac Jones. And we'll see what the James White situation ends up being in terms of if they want to bring him back. And I would say Jacoby Myers is probably going to be the same. He's probably, at this point, he probably is what he is. He's a nice receiver. He's a possession guy, but he's never going to be a dynamic playmaker whatsoever. So Mac Jones has a year of experience with all those guys. It's not like he's coming back to the Patriots offense that was 2020. Now, I, I would acknowledge that they need help in terms of the weaponry. I've been harping on that all offseason. But I would also point to the fact that it's not like they get a bunch of scrubs out there. They don't have a pure definitive number one, but they don't have a bunch of scrubs either. So I don't see how he regresses. Now, maybe you say the growth of Mac in year two isn't as great as it would otherwise be if you don't get that legitimate bona fide number one receiver. I, I agree with that. But to say that he's going to take a step back just because Josh isn't part of the equation anymore, I think that's giving McDaniels a little bit too much credit. I, I do believe it's arrogant that they just let him go for nothing. Not that they let him go. He got a head coaching gig. But they didn't adequately, adequately replace him, I should say. But I also look at the system is in place. If Bill just wants to run the Josh McDaniels system, it's in place for them, right? They can run back that offense. I would advocate making some changes to that. But nonetheless, if they just want to run that back, it's there. The playmakers are going to be relatively the same. And if I look at recent NFL history, Lamar Jackson got better in year two. Herbert got better in year two. Burrow, I mean, look at the climb he made in year two. 
he went from his rookie season completing 65% of his passes to completing 70% of his passes. He went from throwing for 268 yards a game to 288. He went from an 89.8 quarterback rating to a 108.3 quarterback rating. The only guy in recent history, even Josh Allen, now his big leap was from year two to year three, but even Josh Allen was better in year two than he was in year one. Ordinarily, these guys make a leap. It's actually considered to be, and there has been studies done on this, the most significant leap that a quarterback will make is from year one to year two. So if the situation is the offensive line is going to be relatively the same, the weapons are going to be relatively the same, and the only thing that is different is that Josh McDaniels isn't part of the equation, why would I think that Mac's going to take a step back? If anything, I believe that Mac's going to be in better shape next season. Mac Jones's arm is going to be a little better. And by the way, this whole idea that you can't improve arm strength, well, that's been debunked. Jordan Palmer, who is Joe Burrow's personal quarterbacks coach, and I would advocate that Mac actually reaches out to that guy because he works with Allen, he works with Burrow, he's worked with Deshaun Watson. He's basically the best personal quarterback coach out there right now. So I would advocate that Mac actually calls him up and starts working with him, right? But just getting back to the original point is one of the things that Jordan Palmer said is this offseason, they tweaked Joe Burrow's mechanics. And when they tweaked Joe, Joe Burrow's mechanics, it actually improved his arm strength. So he went from throwing the ball 49 miles an hour to 54 miles an hour. So you're talking about a 5% increase just because they made a slight adjustment to his mechanics. Now, I'm not saying that Mac Jones is ever going to be an incredible arm strength guy, so to speak. He's not going to be Josh Allen. He's definitely not going to be Justin Herbert or Pat Mahomes or anything along those lines, but he can slightly improve his arm strength, just like we saw Joe Burrow improve his arm strength. And Joe Burrow doesn't have a big arm either. I mean, if you look at Joe Burrow's success, and this is something that Mac Jones is going to have to master as well, and I would say this is a strength of Mac right now, but it's going to have to go up to even a higher level, is Mac Jones like Joe Burrow, needs to throw with anticipation to make up for not having the biggest arm in the world. Like, if you look at a guy like, for example, Justin Herbert, who I believe is the most talented quarterback in the NFL, Justin Herbert can be late on a throw, or late on a read, I should say, and still fit it into a window. If Mac Jones is late on a read, he can't get it there because he doesn't have the arm strength that Justin Herbert does. So with Mac, it's more of he's got to continue to grow on the mental side and throw more and throw even better and more efficiently as it pertains to the anticipation, just like Joe Burrow this season was more confident throwing with anticipation. So the only guy I can think of in recent history that was a top-tier quarterback or wanted to be or was considered to be a top-tier quarterback or a high draft pick, I should say, that took a step back, like in all these recent drafts. Because, like, Mitchell Trubisky, not like he took a step back. He just sucked. He wasn't good, right? I mean, we've had a lot of jo Josh Rosen. He never got his career going. Dwayne Haskins, he sucked. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks that Daniel Jones just sucked. The guy's never been a good player. So we've seen that throughout the NFL where guys come in and they're just not good and they never become good quarterbacks. We see that every year. I mean, Blake Bortles was never really good. I mean, he had that one okay run in 2017. They gave him a dumbass contract. But in his second year, he was better than he was in his first year, right? So when I look at the only guy in recent history that was really like really touted high and had a good rookie year and then took a significant step back. The only guy I can come up with is Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, if you look at his first season, remember, he was considered to be the rookie of the year. He threw for 266 yards per game. He had a 93.7 passer rating. He had 27 touchdowns and 14 picks. He, come back, he comes back rather in year two, 239 yards a game. 
His quarterback rating goes from 93 to 78. He goes from 14 picks to 21 picks, and partially that's because he played in more games. So that's really not fair because he would have thrown a similar amount of picks if he played the full season that year. But the completion percentage dips 4%. So when you look at it with Baker Mayfield, that's the only guy I can think of in recent history. So basically what Fourier is saying is that he expects Mac Jones to be Baker Mayfield and take a significant step back from where he was in his rookie season. Because Mayfield was good. Actually, Mayfield was second in the rookie of the year voting. But anyway, so Baker is worse in year two than year one. Who are the other examples of quarterbacks recently that had good rookie seasons and were not good in their second season or at least took a significant step back? That's the only guy I can come up with. Really, I mean, all these quarterbacks that have been drafted high that have played well as rookies, they've improved in that in year two. Justin Herbert's significantly better in year two than he was in year one. He was good in year one. He's even better this year. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to David. He's in Florida. David, what's up, man? You know, uh, am I on? I got you now. Uh, you got me? All right. Well, you know, <clears throat> two things. I mean, I am so – who was the first athlete to, to retire and then come back out of retirement? Did anybody do it before Michael Jordan? I mean, Muhammad I mean, Ali. Recently, I'm... Yeah, that's true. Actually, he yeah, didn't retire, but you I... get the point. He, he basically no, they yeah, said he, he didn't fight. retire. He, yeah, yeah, he was in the army. He he, he was drafted, and then or something like that. I don't uh, remember. Magic Johnson because he had the health issues with HIV. Yeah, Magic Johnson. That's yeah. right. All right, but that's yeah. But I, I, I'm just. I mean, that's different with Magic because it was a health issue. Right. But I am just. I, I'm. You know, they should put a rule in. I mean, there has to be some sanctity in retiring. You can't – it's it's another – Some sanctity? Act, but some – some – yes, there has to be – I mean, maybe that's not the right word. But, you know, when you when you retire, you, 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 you can't just decide to come back two years later. Uh, I mean, it's just – I mean, look what Michael did. He retired twice and came back. And then you have – I think David, can't you can't you reverse a visectomy? So why can't you reverse your retirement? Because uh, I mean, they make the decision so so whimsically, so capriciously. You know, you have to sit down and give it thought before you make the decision to retire. I mean, the, 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 that's a significant decision. I mean, you, once you retire, you retire. Now, if you want to go off into another another sport, okay, or something, but. You know, uh, I'm sick of all these athletes. Just, uh, I mean. So you don't want you, modern... you never want to see Brady again. He, he no, I. I mean, he decided to retire. He, if if he right. if he still wanted to play, then why did he say? Then why did he decide to retire? I mean, right, he just held out of you. I appreciate you know? the yeah. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate the call tonight. His line's open if you want to grab it at six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. So we got a text from the 978 about a quarterback that was good in year one and regressed. He says Jamarcus Russell. He was never good. Year one, he didn't play much, by the way. He only played in one game. Or, excuse me, only started one game. He played in four. He was horrible, and then he was horrible his second year. The guy was never good. I'm talking about a guy that came into the league and was good as a rookie like Baker Mayfield and bad in his second year. In recent history, what are the quarterback is like that? All right, we'll get into that next here on WEI. All right, by the way, this is for Mike who called earlier. He was wondering about 
the plus minus, the box score plus minus, not the net rating. Jason Tatum is, I said seven, he is exactly seven. That would be, let's see, sixth among players that have played at least 40 games this season. I'm not counting the guys that have played like two or three games. So Jason Tatum, really good when it comes to that, really good when it comes to net rating as well. And, oh, by the way, we have a text from the 978 that says, RG3, we're asking how many quarterbacks had a good rookie season and then regressed in their second year. He says Robert Griffin III. And he is right about that. And I, I should have remembered that one because I actually was in Virginia doing radio at that particular point in time. And RG3 was unreal as a rookie. Remember, he won Rookie of the Year over Andrew Luck. Now, here was the issue with RG3. He actually went up in terms of the passing yards, but the passer rating went way down. It went from, <laughs> it dipped almost 20 points, okay? The completion percentage dipped almost 5% as well. Now, the big thing with him is he was coming off a torn ACL, and he wasn't the same runner in year two as he was in year one, and he went from 54 yards a game to 37 yards a game, but part of that was him. So when RG3, and this is documented, now remember, they had like one of the great coaching staffs that got fired. On that staff was Mike Shanahan was the head coach, Kyle Shanahan was the OC, McVay was on that staff, LaFleur was on that staff, okay? So McVay won a Super Bowl. You had LaFleur that's made it to two conference championship games. Shanahan's made it to a Super Bowl. And, of course, Mike Shanahan had won two Super Bowls with Denver. So the story is that Robert Griffin III basically had Daniel Snyder's ear. So they ran a ton of plays that year out of the pistol, and they were doing a lot of read option, of course, with Robert Griffin III. And he went in there, Robert Griffin III, because he had the power from the owner, and he told them to take all those plays out. So it's like, well, hold on, Robert, this is what made you good. You were good last season because you were running the ball all the time. And he basically told them, now, not doing that anymore. And, of course, he was never the same player again. And part of that, I would say, is he he lost his athleticism after that injury. He's never the same player again. And that field was a complete dump. FedEx field, remember, they played. He was in the same. He came out of the same draft classes. Of course, he was the number two pick. Russell Wilson was, what, in the third round. And they actually played each other in the playoffs. And that's when Robert Griffin III got hurt on that terrible FedEx field. I, that guy was an incredible talent, but I do feel like there was a, too much ego with that particular player. But that is an example to go along with the Baker Mayfield one. But I just don't feel like Mac is going to be in that statistical category or just category in general where he dips off after year two. Like, there were character flaws with Robert Griffin III. I mean, you could kind of see it coming out of the collegiate level. He was all about branding himself. Remember his speech for the Heisman Trophy? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievably believable. And then right after that, he trademarks that. He was all about, like, the socks and all this different type of stuff, like marketing his socks. It just felt like he was more about Robert Griffin III than he was about the football team. I don't see that being an issue with Mac Jones next season. And I'm even conceding if Bill doesn't get Mac a number one option, which I believe that should be the number two objective on this team after making sure that you bring back J.C. Jackson because there's not a replacement for J.C. Jackson. But... You need to be able to get back that number one guy. And I'm conceding if Bill doesn't do it, which I believe he's going to do it, whether it's the draft or via free agency, I truly believe he's going to do it because why would Bill stop now? Look at all the money he put into weapons. He got Hunter Henry. He got Jonu Smith. He got Nelson Aguilar. And none of those guys, and he got Kendrick Bourne, none of those guys are a number one option. Bill was searching for a number one option. I believe he thought Jonu Smith was going to turn into that guy because there was no reason to justifiably give him that contract based on his production in Tennessee. It wasn't there. You were projecting he could be a star with you. Just like Bill's done with so many guys over the years. 
and he did it with Matthew Judon. He projected that Judon would be better with the Patriots than he was with the Ravens. He was until the final four games of the season where he kind of fell apart, whether that's an injury or not. But you get the point. He thought that Jonu Smith, at least my contention is, he thought Jonu Smith was going to be significantly better than he was, and maybe they could develop him into a number one option. And Bill has always had a number one option for his quarterback. You look at Tom, basically since Tom became the alpha and the omega of the offense, he got him Randy Moss, and then he got him Gronk. Since 07, he's had Randy Moss and Gronk, and a couple of years in between, of course, he had Gronk injuries and 19 Gronk retires. So Bill definitely realizes the importance of a number one option, so I believe he's going to address that this offseason. But even if he doesn't, I can't see Mac Jones with his work ethic and now the year of experience that he takes a step back. So I totally disagree with Fourier on that. Oh, and one other Celtics point I wanted to get to. So they won the final 11 of their final 13. So if you look at that in terms of the winning percentage, that's what, 846? But the big thing is Tatum. So I talked earlier about how his playmaking improved. But the other thing is now Tatum is finishing at the level he should be. So Tatum in the restricted area is now finishing 75.7% of the time. So when he's at the basket, he's now finishing because that was a problem for the majority of the season. The first 43 games for Tatum, he was at just 62% in the restricted area. Not nearly good enough. And then in floater range, so outside of that three-feet area in the lane, Tatum is now shooting 50%. In his first 43 games, he was shooting just 38.3%. And then the other big one is above the break threes. So the non-corner threes, Tatum's now shooting 41.4% on those compared to 30.1% in his first 43 games. So he really was in an extended shooting slump, so to speak. But now that he's starting to hit the above the break threes with regularity, and now that he's starting to finish at the basket, which was an issue inexplicably for a good portion of the season, he's become a much more effective player. And I give him Adoka credit as well because he did challenge Jason Tatum to get downhill more often, and he's certainly been doing that as of late. Unfortunately, we've got no basketball this weekend besides the All-Star game. That's going to suck. Thanks to Will and Matt for producing. I'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6. Have a great night. Everybody be safe and be well. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at 4. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.